Welcome to episode 50 of Flying Podcast, and tonight I'm talking to a fellow aviator from Barton, a guy called Duncan Armstrong. Recently, Duncan, I was having a look through my uh, diary, which I kept when I was learning to fly and for the, uh, for the duration of my flying career, and some of the notes I made when I was learning to fly I thought were quite relevant to discuss on the podcast, um, particularly relevant for people nowadays that are learning to fly or are maybe in their, their early, uh, early hours of learning to fly or actually have their PPL now. I know you have more experience than I, so I thought it'd um, be interesting uh, just to discuss uh, some of those points on the podcast. Did you keep a diary yourself, Duncan? I didn't keep a diary, but I was just thinking, Steve, is that the one where you'd drawn all the stick men in the corner when you flicked the pages? It looked like he was running across the bottom of your diary. <laughs> that's it, flapping his wings. That's, 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 that's the one. one. That's, that's <laughs> the one. I didn't keep a diary. I mean, when we discussed this the other day, I looked through my logbook and there was a few things on there that I thought to myself, oh, goodness me, I'd forgotten about that. And it also brought flooding back to me. Um, some of, not stress. Stress is the wrong word. I mean, some of the fears I had when I was learning to fly. Um, first fear of being ever up with the aircraft. Um, you always felt you were half an hour behind the aircraft. But also, once you got the licence, the fear that you'd do something wrong and a man from the CAA in a big hat would come and take the thing off you and tear it up in front of you yeah. into those little pieces that they love on the cartoons. And I think... The point of our discussion here is just to reassure the PPLs and the people learning to fly that it's very difficult to lose your licence. You really have to do something very, very wrong. Yeah. And whatever you think you've done wrong, we've all done it before. I mean, you must have done something, many things stupid on training. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. One of the things that um, sort of, uh, I thought would be interesting to discuss was some of the sort of decisions we made whilst we were learning to fly in the, in the early, the early uh, hours of... Uh, working towards your PPL. Uh, one of the things that I sort of noted from my diary that uh, I changed my instructor once or twice. I don't know if you did the same thing or kept the same one throughout. But with availability of different uh, instructors, I found I was sort of uh, fobbed off to someone I, you know, I hadn't chosen to go with. And very soon I found that not all instructors are the same. And I think um, my advice to someone that's learning to fly is don't go with the first person that you, you, know, you, you end up with. Uh, try a few. In fact, that, that applies to the aircraft as well. Try a couple of different aircraft. My experience with instructors was um, I'd, I'd found one guy that I was really happy with uh, and he had to go off for some reason. I was put with another guy. I won't mention his name, but um, as, a, as a relative newbie to flying, it was, it was a shock to me that their attitude to flying was completely different. And this guy was, um, it was much more cavalier. In fact, we were flying and you know there were CBs in the air and it was raining and I was, <laughs> I was thinking, this doesn't seem right, you know. You've sort of got to trust the fella who sat next to you, haven't yeah, you? Exactly. Uh, and um, you sort of thinking to yourself, now has he seen that great big thunder, uh, uh, thundercloud, and that lightning flash out the window? Yeah. I mean, on the subject of instructors, I was very lucky um, when I uh, wanted to learn to fly. I went down to Baden, and um, first person I bumped into um, talked me through it, and I thought, what a fine fellow. So I decided that I'd learn to fly with him. I'm very lucky. He stuck with it all the way through to about 10 hours short of my PPL, and then he, little monkey, went and got a job with British Regional Airways. Yeah. He wasn't sure whom I should then fly with, and I picked an instructor myself. I think he was reluctant to recommend anybody, because I think there was a, a, you know, it was the best of a bad bunch at the time. My next instructor, I just didn't gel with at all, and I've been so lucky with my first instructor, because you spend a lot of time with him, you sat next to him, in, you know, very close proximity, um, and there was no attractive ladies to sit and fly with at the time. Um, so you've got to be careful that it's somebody you are going to get on with, that the personality works. 
I got very lucky. My next chap, very disappointing, wasn't really wanting to be there. He wanted to go off and get a job with one of the airlines. And we started just covering old stuff. And he didn't even look through my logbook. And it got to a point where actually I put myself in for my skills test. And I said to him, I've put myself in for my skills test. And his reaction was, yeah, that's probably a good idea, actually. You're probably about ready. <laughs> um, so you sort of thought to yourself, how, how long were you going to take money off me? Yeah, yeah. I think the important thing is the large majority of the flying instructors do enjoy instructing. Yeah. And I know for some of them it's a means to end, but they do enjoy instructing. But it is a tough, it is a tough one. And if, if yeah. you don't get on with the person you're sat next to and you don't feel you're going anywhere, change. Yeah. I don't think they're offended. Not at all, no. And I think my advice would be, even if the first guy you think is, he's okay, just try a couple more. Because you might find, you know, the next one you try is absolutely you know, much, much better or indeed <laughs> absolutely <it's> rubbish. <laughs> you, you make them sound like a box of quality street. They so you're are, sort of picking your way through and looking at the wrappers. They are. They're, well, yeah, it, in some ways they are. And it, it is, it's, um, it's a very intimate relationship you have with your flying instructor, especially if you're two large blokes into a, a 150 or a, or a grob or something like that. You yeah. know, you are really sitting shoulder to shoulder um I, it sounds daft i always had this worry about my personal hygiene <laughs> when i went flying i always felt i had to be freshly showered and yeah. and, and after a few a uh, few occasions i realized that the instructors having spent most of the day tucked up with aircraft uh, tucked up in aircraft sorry um were as sweaty as horrible as i was so um it wasn't a problem so i soon got over that yeah. so come on steve what's the daftest thing you did whilst you were training oh um Actually, when I was sent off on my qualifying cross-country, I think I was so eager to get going. Um, I was actually flying a Grob at the time, the Grob Tutor, the 115. Uh, I hopped in, and um, I think every flight I ever made, I always, I always made a mistake. I always forgot one thing. And on, on this particular occasion, I hopped in, and I was taxiing out, and I thought, oh, Christ, I, I haven't signed out. And at Barton, you have to go in and say where you're off to and how many people on board, etc., and what you're doing. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll just park up outside the control tower. I just whapped the hatchback, turned the, the engine off, hopped out, ran in, signed out, ran back out, got in. I can and always imagine your silk scarf flying <laughs> behind you as you <laughs> leg across the apron here. It's a very romantic picture. Is, yeah. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> so I hopped in and uh, taxied out, and I got to the hold when um, someone in the ATC must have looked through the binoculars. It must have been very powerful binoculars because he said, do you realise you've got your pito cover on? I said, no, I can't, because it's sat here next to... Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and I had taken it off. But on the grub, the, the, uh, the pito's on top of the tail. So it's a bit of an effort to put it back on. And I would have remembered. So I thought, how the hell did that get back on? So anyway, I, I did. I hopped out at the hold, took the, the cover off and went off and did my, my trip. And I got back and the, uh, one of the instructors said noticed you were parked up your aircraft so i thought i'd put the pito cover on for you <laughs> thanks very did you, much did you give him that withering <laughs> cheers mate, <laughs> sort of moment so um, uh, the the thing to learn from that is of course never leave your aircraft unattended without when you come back give it a quick cursory look round, make sure nobody's bumped into it or put the pito cover back on he wasn't stood there going 50p to look after your aircraft mister <laughs> you didn't pay him is that, is that what the problem was something like that I think, I mean, you and I discussed it the other day. I think we've all taxied out without turning the fuel on. Um, I once spent a good five minutes in the middle of the airfield with air traffic saying what was the problem, and I couldn't work out why the blooming thing wouldn't go. Yeah. Uh, and they were about to send somebody out to give me a tow, and I realised I hadn't turned the fuel on. Yeah. Now, the thing that goes through your mind is, how do I 
not admit to what I've done. Oh, yes. Because if you do that over the radio, you'll get laughed at. And rightly so, you know. But we all learn from the mistakes. Yeah. I think. <laughs> the more mistakes you make, um, the more you learn. And boy, have I learned a lot. Um, I think, wasn't there another one you mentioned? Well, I didn't turn the fuel cock on when I was starting up. I, didn't, oh, I just right. hadn't turned it on. I was trying to start it up and it sort of kicked into life and then shut down. I thought, this is strange. So, uh, why would you forget to do that? I mean, it's, it's on your checklist, isn't it? So why do you just hop over that particular one? Well, I remember um, one of the instructors saying that um, his philosophy was if you ever got disturbed doing your checklist, yeah. you should go back to the top and yes. start again. Exactly. Yeah. And it, 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 he's right. And it's, that's how things get missed. And we've all, we've all missed things. Um, but I think you get there's that well, familiarity breeds contempt. There's a yeah, there's a yeah. phrase from one of your teachers probably spouted at you. Yeah. You do start to get familiar. The the checking the aircraft over, the using your checklist bit. You sort of there's a slight I don't say cockiness. I think um, there's a book called Propellerhead by a chap called Anthony Woodward who's about it's about microlighting. It was on the television recently. Oh yes, yeah. But he says in that his primary reason for learning to fly was to impress women, and I think there's for the for most sexes. There's a certain element of, uh, look at me, look how cool I am. The the Second World War fighter pilots, you know, with the Spitfire cockpit uh, cover shoved back and the yeah. scarf flowing out behind you. And you get a bit sort of cavalier with it. And it like it's something like that that just brings you back to the, hang on a second, yes, I do need to use my checklist. Um, and better that than getting into the air and finding your pito cover was on or yeah. your fuel wasn't on or something like that. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, you're absolutely right about the routine and, and being uh, t- shaken out of your routine. I, I remember that, that exactly that, uh, you know, the Cavalier instructor I was telling you about, he said, uh, I don't know if you mind hurrying up, but could you just sort of shorten your uh, your checks and we'll just get going? I thought, well, you know, he knows what we're doing. So he said, we'll do the checks after we've fueled. And that really threw me out. You know, I thought, you know, you follow when you're in early hours. I'd only done like three or four hours. So I said, I'll do what he what he says, but... I was I was all of a dishwasher. <laughs> I think there's an element of you are you are in charge. I know he's the instructor, but you are in charge. And if you're not happy about something, just say. Yeah. You know, he's not going to be in any way offended. I think in some ways it also sets out the barriers of the relationship in that you know, if you're prepared to say there's there's nothing worse. There was an incident during my training where we were doing touch and goes and I um I blow my own trumpet. I was doing them very well, and I think my instructor had become slightly complacent. And on one of them, I landed long, and I thought, my goodness me, um, we'll not get off the ground again. So I paused for a moment, and in that moment, he said next to me, well, come on, get on with it. Um, those weren't his exact words, but that was the inference of what he was saying. Um, so, full power, away with the flap, and we actually clipped the hedge <laughs> at the end of the runway. Um, now, there was a few... Anglo-Saxon style words in the in the cockpit. Um, quick conversation with ATC. He took over. We did a very very tight circuit and landed. And we picked bits of twig out of the oil cooler <laughs> on a 150 out of the undercarriage. And whilst we can laugh about it now, we laughed about it at the time. It could have been very very serious. It would have been a foot lower. Yeah. But it was all caused by complacency. Complacency on his part that he thought I could do it, and I had done it very well umpteen times. And complacency on my part that I thought that if it all went horribly wrong, he would sort it out for me. And the reality of it is we're only human. Um, and it caught us both out. And unfortunately, we got away with it. Um, otherwise, we'd have been uh, filling in one of those um, horrible MORs, the mandatory occurrence reports. 
and um, going off to see the CAA if, if of course, we were laid up in hospital with a broken leg or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think you define your relationship with your instructor and that's why, going back to what you said about trying a few, you've got to get on with them um, because in many ways, if you don't get on with them, it can prolong your training uh, and the worst case is it prolongs your training costs you more money. Um, but if you get the right instructor, you get through your PPL quickly, you get it all done, get it done in a short time. And also, it adds pleasure. I mean, what we forget is you fly for fun. Um, and when the sweat's dripping down you sometimes and you're struggling to keep up with the aircraft, you have to sort of take a breath and say, hang on, this is, this is supposed to be fun, <laughs> you know, and I'm yes. paying money for this pleasure as well. So, yes, instructors are a, a funny breed. If you find the right one, you're lucky. So try a few and you, you, you'll, uh, you'll enjoy it more. Talking about flying for fun, that was one of the things that um, I noted in my uh, diary that every now and again it's worth just saying to your instructor can we do something just out of the ordinary i remember i saying to my instructor can we go above the clouds is that is that allowed <laughs> and he said sure yeah you know we've been doing a lot of uh, circuit bashing he says come on let's just go off and have a bit of fun and you know we've he took us up through a hole in the clouds and it's beautiful up there and i thought you know this is what i'm i'm learning for you know this is my end goal and i think it's worth reinforcing that every now and again rather than just you know going around doing the tedious stuff it it is we we played um we played what do you call it cloud chasing we basically just ducked in and out of the clouds yeah. i have to say though i have no idea how anybody shot anybody down during the second world war because i'm blowed if i can ever spot another aircraft. and i have passed the medical you know it's nothing wrong with my eyesight yeah. but you know he'd sit there and say oh there's an aircraft you know 10 o'clock oh, and he'd be peering out going where yeah where have you had any near misses at all by the way oh yes you see a lot of aircraft fly <laughs> past don't you Especially on the low-level route where you know that they're coming in the opposite direction and you never, ever see them, do you, until... No, and that, that's, that's the thing. The worst one is when... Um, well, it wasn't a near-miss as such. I was doing my uh, qualifying cross-country practice, so um, I was still... I didn't have my PPL. I'd been sent off solo. And I was flying from somewhere... Oh, to uh, low-level corridor to Salmsbury or somewhere like that, and suddenly... Um, the water controller said to me, uh, asked my height, I gave him that, he said, a caution you fat, fast jets passing right to left below you. And I looked down and the red arrows went underneath me in a diamond <laughs> nine formation. <laughs> now, they were barely 500 feet below me. Yeah. They obviously knew I was there. Obviously. Um, it, would, it would have been nice if he told me what was going to happen because I've got to admit, <laughs> it, it cured me constipation. Um, but it was a fantastic sight to see. It did set me thinking, I hope they knew I was there, and I'm sure the controller had told them I was there, yep. but those things, they go so fast, that if, if there's no chance of seeing you have to... Yep. No, not at all, no. Um, but that, I mean, that's, and that was one of the things, during my training, you know, little sights like that, seeing the red arrows, diamond nine, underneath me. While you were at, what, 1,200 feet? Uh, I, was, I was about two and a half, but yes, not much yep. above that, uh, and then I could see it, it was a glorious gin-clear day. And see them peeling off and, and doing a stream landing to Wharton. It's just magnificent. Absolutely. And, and it's things like that, that. That's that's one of the beauties of flying. Um, you know, apart from, of course, sitting there with the, um, the uh, a nice lady on your right-hand side and things like that. Um, but that makes me sound like a sexist pig, doesn't it? So you can <laughs> cut that bit out if you want, course, Steve. I don't mind. Of course. Mind. Yeah, that's going in. <laughs> I thought it might do somehow. Yeah, I um, remember seeing the red arrows. I was, I was flying down the coast towards Blackpool. I don't, I'd just gone up north to the lakes and it, it was a bit turbulent, so I thought, well, I'll just come back through Blackpool's airspace down the coast. And uh, just as I uh, was 
coming in, I can't remember exactly where it was, was several miles north of Blackpool, I just saw this big fan of vapour trails appear on the horizon. <laughs> that was the Red Arrows doing their display at uh, Southport. So another thing to learn there is always check your NOTAMs for uh, what the Red Arrows are up to. Oh, I'm continuously concerned. Uh, it brings me back to my, one of my maxims of flying. Talk to everybody. As much as possible, yeah. Absolutely. I think when you're a newly minted PPL, especially if you've learned at maybe a small airfield, we're quite lucky where we both learned to fly at Barton in that whilst it's, um, it's Class G airspace where we are, we've got Manchester Class D, um, Class A above that for Manchester and Liverpool, and then we've got the low-level corridor. So it's fairly busy, and they get you used to quite early talking to Manchester to go up and down the low-level corridor. Um, I know recently there is a, there's a thing where you only have to squawk and don't talk to Manchester, so yes. you're listening. You just monitor, don't you? Yeah, I personally, without getting political about it, I think that's a retro step. Because you don't... I think the, the actual act of talking to Manchester gives you a comfort zone. Um, and if you talk to them and you stray into their airspace, they know you, they can talk to you and say, hey, turn right, or, you know, just you're just getting a little close. Yeah. I think the other thing to say as well is if you do infringe on their space, or you do think you've done something silly, straight on the radio, straight on with an apology. Yeah. 99, I, mean, I, I busted Liverpool's airspace in quite spectacular fashion <laughs> on a cross-country qualifier. Got it horribly wrong. And um, I don't know, I had my map upside down or something like that. I think somebody had snuck in and put a magnet next to the compass or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And um, somebody had said to this, talk to me. And I just, I dialed up Liverpool and I said, look, I think I've got this wrong. I think I'm inside your airspace. He said, yes, you're well inside our airspace. We have spoken to Barton. I thought, oh, here we go. I'm going to get on the ground. I'm going to be, you know, dragged across the apron by frog my ankles. Marched. and give it, Yeah, frog, but give it a right telling off. And he just said, oh, thanks for giving me a call. Thanks for the apology. Don't worry about it. Just don't let it happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got back to Barton. And it wasn't actually mentioned. So I don't know whether he did, hadn't spoken to them or, or what, but, but the key was, as soon as I realised, straight on the radio, gave him a call, um, got away with it. Um, and by and so, large, ATC are okay, aren't they? There's, um, and I've not come across many that, uh, that I thought I didn't want to deal with. I mean, you have, haven't you? I think you've had problems with uh, several. Well, not problems so much. I remember one, well, <laughs> remember one time going to Carnarvon, uh, with my wife in the aircraft and she wanted to clear me across the top of Liverpool, not above, uh, 1200 feet. Yep. Um, and I sort of expressed the concern about accepting a clearance over a built up area at 1200 feet with no ability to land clear. Um, could I route either north, south or could she give me high, uh, higher? And she, she basically said no. If I didn't like it, I could turn round. Um, <laughs> Which, Fair you know, enough. She, fra- well, she phrased Fair it in a more, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was more Cap 413 than, than that. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but in the end, I sort of said to her, well, I'm, I'm unhappy because I can't meet, you know, Rule 5 if you make me clear that. And then it, she went, oh, stand by. In, in sort of, you know, that way that only certain people can, you're, normally when you're married to them. Yeah. Anyhow, a few moments later, she was back on and she cleared me to 2,500, which was yeah. right at the top of her airspace. Um so again, lesson learned there. If you're not happy about the clearance you're given, yeah. ask. Yeah. I mean, you don't argue because that gets you nowhere. We know that. And everybody else on the radio can hear you. But if you ask the question, um, I th- I f- the other one I always find in it is Birmingham. I go down, I fly to Denham a lot for work. And as soon as you talk to Birmingham, they immediately say to you, oh, you'd be better served by East Midlands or Coventry or somebody like that. And it, a lot of the time, you're so far north that you couldn't get Coventry from where you were anyway. Yeah. But, no, as a rule, they're, they're pretty good. I've been up and down. Um, 
I remember flying to Exeter once at Christmas, and I'd um, I'd rung the Met office uh, helpline. You know the one you ring up and they charge you X per minute. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's a hundred pounds a second or something. It certainly felt like that anyway. Um, and asked them for a for a weather forecast. Had the IMC, uh, but was very concerned about icing and freezing and stuff like that. And they gave me this lovely detailed forecast and said, "No, no problem at all. You'll be absolutely clear all the way down." Um, away you go. Of course, I found myself over the Bristol Channel above thick cloud, thinking, well, this is going to break, this is going to break. And I ended up doing um, an SRA, and that was the other thing. Exeter's ILS was broken, so I ended up doing an SRA through cloud, picking up icing as I went. I had no, no experience of icing, never been discussed by my training, I'd never read anything about it. And I think the controller realised from the tone of my voice, I probably sounded like a frightened small boy on the radio, um, that I wasn't happy. Help! <laughs> yeah, very much help. I, I think if help had been the correct RT, I probably would have gone for help. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really was. I was on the verge of declaring a pan. Yeah. Um, but there's something in the back of my mind saying, are you being silly here? And I could see ice forming. Because at 172, you, know, you can see the wing strut, yeah. you can see the wheel. And there was definitely ice for you. And my wife sat next to me going, everything all right, dear? And I'm going, oh, yes, it's not a problem. You've gone quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and usually at Exeter, the approach hand you over to the uh, ground controller once you're established on a final. In this instance, he said, why don't you stay with me for a while? And I think he realised that the workload was high. Um, and as it was, we, we broke cloud at 1,500 feet. You know, no problems at all with, with anything. Um, well above my minima. Um lovely landing and away we went but again you know quality service from them realized that i was perhaps outside my comfort zone um and gave me um gave me the service i want and i went straight home and read everything i could find about icing mm-hmm. um and the rule of thumb seems to be avoid it at all costs <laughs> oh yes yeah <laughs> run, a- run away run away going going back to your training then how many how many hours had you done when you went solo uh i was 15 as was I, so there's a, there's a similarity. And I must say, the the landing was the thing that put me back. I, ju- I just couldn't quite get the flare to start with. And it, I, I don't know what it is. It's, it's a bit sort of one of those magical things, isn't it, when you suddenly realise how to land an aircraft? Because before you do it, you think, I'll never be able to manage this. And I was sort of coming down, and I, and I was sort of flaring too early. So I was sort of way above the, the runway. And then I thought, well, I need to get a bit lower, so I'll push the nose down to, <laughs> to go towards it. No! You were responsible for that grob that was in the hangar with its nose wheel missing. All of you? them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just go back to um, Propellerhead by Anthony Woodward. He says in there that he couldn't land either. And then somebody said to him one day, the, the art to landing is trying not to. Precisely that, exactly that. And I thought, that's, that's, that's a bloody good... It, it's aim at the ground, but miss. Yeah, it's trying to sort of fly level with the ground, isn't it? And just, just try not to, and pull back, pull back, to just keep the aircraft off the ground, and it will eventually touch down with the, uh, the kiss, as you say. That's the theory. Yeah. If you go on the internet, there's loads of YouTube videos of, um, of landings, which I know the, the thinking is that if you can walk away from it, it's a good landing. If you can use the aircraft again, it's a superb landing. Um, there's some of mine. I'm surprised the aircraft's still in one piece. But, um, but you go on, the, go on YouTube, and there's so many landings on there, you don't all feel better about your own landing once, you, once you've watched some of those. Yes. You really do. I mean, there's a couple of commercial guys. How they're still in a job, I have no idea at all. Um, it, oh, Dear, oh dear, oh dear. So you went solo at 15? Um, yes. D- did you have any problems with your landings, or was it reasonably straightforward for you? 
I think I've been helped by I flew gliders when I was uh, when I was a youngster. I was in the Air Scout, so I oh, flew right. gliders. So I gone so long gliders when I was sixteen. Yeah. Um, albeit, you know, I was thirty when I started flying uh, properly. Um, and if you, you can know, fly gliders, you can fly anything, can't you? Um, yeah, it, it was something we did as a as a as I say in the Air Scouts, and I think that helped to a degree. Um, what it hindered was I was a I was a swine for side slipping, which on a one seven two with full flap sometimes can reduce your, your elevator control. Yeah. Um, so I did get shouted at a couple of times in the nicest way, um, you know, about doing something like that. I'm just looking at my, hand, my um, oh, book here, actually. I'm trying to find out how many hours I had actually done before I got my licence. Do you know off the top of your head what you did? Uh, I think I was 55. Here we go. Oh, no. 59. <laughs> Fifteen. Oh, I feel so inadequate next to you, sir. Oh, well, I've long been thinking that, but uh, <laughs> that's confirmed. I mean, that was the other thing, the skills test. Mm. Oh, gosh, I lost sleep over the skills test. And come the day, I mean, you know, we, we won't name the chap, but he, he's a, he's a long-standing stalwart of Barton, and he's still there. Lovely fella. Same fellow who put your pito cover on. Very shiny shoes. That's the fellow. Yeah. Um, fantastic chap. Comes across... <laughs> Slightly intimidating, but you know what? He He's lovely, one of the nicest guys on the planet, and he'll help yep. you. Yep, yep. And I did my skills test with him, and I, well, he put the fear of God into me, but and I, I thought I'd made so many mistakes. But basically, he was, as he said afterwards, he wanted to make sure that I was safe. Yep. Um, I got lost on my nav exercise, which is <laughs> never good. Uh, I mistook, I think it was Oswald Street for Wrexham or the other way around. And when he pointed out my error, um, yes, I could see one was a great big town with a river running through it, and the other was a tiny little village um, <laughs> with a mountain next to it. But yeah. apart from that, they all look the blooming same. Of course they do. Yeah. Uh, um, but what a fantastic! I ended up with a partial pass. I had to go back and redo the nav exercise, uh, which on a day was horrible cloud. Um, and he said, "What do you think?" And I said, "Well, I wouldn't go." And he said, "Neither would I if I were you." But let's go anyway because um, yeah. I know where there's some clear cloud. We flew over to Southport. I redid it there, and I had blooming Wharton vectoring two Hawk trainers to do intercepts on me <laughs> as I flew up and down the coast. And I thought, I was sat there thinking, can you not say I'm on a skills test here? Because quite yep. frankly, my stress level is through the roof. Yep. And we flew around for an hour. We did a whole load of general handling stuff. And he said, right, fantastic, you've passed. That's flew cool. back, landed, and he said, right, your engine's on fire. What do you do now? <laughs> and I thought... I've no blooming idea. And yeah. I looked at him and I said, I've no idea. Um, and he said, well, first of all, you pushed me out of the plane. I thought I could yeah. do that. Yeah. And then he showed me where to squirt the, the, um, the extinguisher. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, that feeling, far in excess of getting your driving licence, that oh, yes. feeling of yeah. having that. Yeah. And then you know that you've got to wait for the blooming thing to come back and you've got to sign it. Do you remember that? You had yeah. to, they had to say you had to sign it before they'd let you fly it. Yeah. And um, I got home one day and there was a, a recorded delivery note through the door. Straight off down the post office I was to get that. <laughs> Rang work, won't be in in the morning. Straight down the airfield the following morning. And it was horrible murky and I thought, oh, get away with circuits. And I did two circuits on my own as a newly minted PPL. It was just the best feeling ever. The best feeling ever. So how did you get on with NAV in general other than getting lost over Oswestry? Um, I bought a GPS. It's the only way. <laughs> really. uh, you know, I uh, I know I know for the purpose of uh, of 
of this conversation on the podcast, we should be saying, well, yes, I, I did the map and a compass and I looked out of the window and I very carefully... Uh, I bought a GPS. I still do. For every journey, I do a plog. Yeah. And I do all my waypoints, my timings, if the GPS goes down. Yeah. Um, but I now have two GPSs. Um, so, I, you know, both. I have one. I have a GNS 430 in the dash and a handheld one that clips to the um, the column. And then I use the map as well. So, you know, all belt and braces approach. Yep. But yeah, yes, I, I used to I, live I, in fear of someone saying to me, uh, please report current position. I thought, oh, crimes, you know, where am I? I? I knew roughly where I was, but you think, oh, what's that now? 10 miles? What's south, southeast of, you know, and you think, <laughs> uh, after about 10 seconds, you think, oh, just pretend I hadn't heard him. <laughs> the one I feared the most was, could I have your estimate for? Yeah. And first of all, it was a place you'd never even heard of. Yeah. So you're then scrabbling around with your map, which, of course, is now carefully folded into the bit of flight that you're not on, onto yeah. the leg you're not on. Yeah. Um, and then you've got to find it, and then you've got to work it out, and, and, and it was just like... Yeah, do you really want to know? Yeah. <laughs> I think half the time the controllers are bored. Yeah, yeah. And they think, we'll set them a little challenge. Yeah. Um, I can see his flight path is starting to meander a bit, so he's obviously looking out the window. So. <laughs> I came back from Bournemouth once. I'd, uh, I'd been to a family do down in Bournemouth, and I flew back in the evening. It was a lovely, lovely year. E- oh, shall I try it again? A lovely evening. Uh, my father and his wife in the back, uh, and I gave Gloucester a call en route. Was it Gloucester? And he said, oh, you're lucky to catch me. I'm just sat here waiting for a flight to come in. Um, and I said, oh, what are you doing to amuse yourself? He said the crossword. And we then spent a couple of minutes, him giving us crossword clues, yeah. and us trying to do the crossword. And then eventually got a call from the flight he was expecting, by which time he'd handed me over to somebody else. Yeah. And it was just one of the pleasures. A lovely evening, beautiful flying, bit of a chat with a nice man. Fantastic way to spend, the, spend yeah. your time. It really is. Uh, and, and that's the beauty of flying. I mean, ATC is the thing that you, you live in fear of as you're learning to fly, isn't it? When, uh, once you've got past the landing, for me, was the, a difficult thing. <laughs> but I used to think, ATC, how the hell do you know what the hell they're going to ask you? Uh, and it's like anything. You know, if you go into a, a pub and ask for a pint, you know, you know pretty much that they're going to say, you know, here's your pint, it's, you know, £2.50. So it's knowing what to expect, two, isn't two it? £2.50, sir? I go oh, back a few years last time yeah, I bought yeah, a pint. I was going to say, you'll have to tell me the pubs you go drinking in. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I see. I know a couple of guys who work in air traffic. One I got introduced recently at a, a party, and I think from a pilot's point of view, your perception is that air traffic at Manchester, Liverpool, any of these big airports, see you as an inconvenience and get in the way. Talking to them, I think the reality is that you're just another aircraft, yep. and they're fully aware. And I think they do like you to talk to them. To go back to what I was saying about the level corridor, this chap who worked at Manchester said his preference was aircraft up and down the corridor, speaking to him. Because he had a communication with them. And if there was a a need to speak to them urgently, and he wasn't already talking to them, but they were squawking, he's got to identify them. He's got to say, you know, the aircraft that is five miles north of. Whereas if he's already spoken to you, it cuts out that little bit, which could be a lifesaver if you've got a 737 bearing down on you and you're in the wrong place. Um, So the the key is, you know, compose what you're going to say, press the button, Say it succinctly, don't ramble, yep. and then listen for the reply. Yes. Um, I used to write it down on my, on my knee pad. In fact, I used to write it down before I'd set off in the morning. I used to write <laughs> yeah. down what I was going to say well, at this point and this point. 
if that works for you, yeah. yes. I mean, you know, it's a safety. The reason you talk to people, it's safety. It's yeah. all about safety. It's safety for them, safety for other aircraft, and safety for you. Because if something goes wrong and the, you know, and the donkey up front stops and you've got to issue a mayday, you don't want to be scrabbling around for a frequency. You don't want to be making contact. You just want to talk to them and they'll sort it out for you. And, you know, once you've made your mayday and they're aware they've got an issue, worry about the aircraft. They'll sort everything else out, you know. Yeah. If, if they ask you something and you don't want to talk to them, don't talk to them. Yeah. You've, got, you've got bigger fish to fry and more important things to worry about. Um, I'm pleased to say I've never had to do that, but there we go. <laughs> I wish I hadn't said that now. Can, can I find some wood to touch? I'll just touch that over there before. <laughs> so, I, I think one thing you should remember is if you're not sure what they've said to you, is just ask and forget the RT, forget cap, whatever it is. Just say to them, sorry, I didn't quite understand that. Can you just explain that to me? Yes. Many's the time, and I mean, I was flying into um, Sherbin, and you have to fly through church fenton rf church fenton which is right yeah. next door to sherbin and uh i've been speaking to leeds and they passed me on and so i, I, I just got on to church could you, fenton. could you understand leeds that yorkshire accent no sorry i shouldn't say that should i <laughs> and i got onto church fenton and the first thing they said was uh, report overhead such and such a thing i thought i'm looking at my map and there's nothing resembled what they'd said report overhead so i i just got on the, on the the radio and said i'm sorry i that the thing you've asked me to report overhead, I can't find you. So, oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. the, the worst ones are the American bases. Um, only from their, their RT is obviously different, yeah. and they've got an accent. I flew to Norwich one one evening uh, for work, um, and ended up speaking. I can't remember which airbase. Um, very nice guy. Turns out he was from Texas. There was nobody else on the frequency. He had no other aircraft. But for the first couple of minutes, I couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> I kept having to say, say it again, say it again. Yeah. And he was, he was like, after a while, he's, he, he almost was saying, I want you to. I was like, yes, okay, I get the message now. Yeah. Um, I think once I tuned into him, it was all right. But, yeah. you know, and they've got a different um, RT in terms of the way they structure things and the information they want and everything else. Uh, I mean, fortunately, I just wanted to transit. Goodness knows how I'd gone if I, if I wanted to actually land there. I, I, I probably wouldn't have known what to do at all. It would have all gone horribly wrong, I think. I must say, of, of all the RT that I do, I find the military the hardest to understand. All military. I don't know why particularly. Is that their educated clip tones? You, you Quite possibly, probably. being a bit of a rough-edged sort of <laughs> chap myself. <laughs> no, I know a fellow who was uh, an ATCO for, uh, in the RAF, and uh, he was rough as old boots. But mm. um, there we go. I, I won't name him. I don't want. I don't want some lawyer ringing me up saying, "Oh, you've been slandered." But there we go. No, I think. I think the RT. I mean, we, you know, we've said it several times, and, and, and we'll say it again for, for the last time. Just speak to people. Yeah. You're not. You'll get. You're more likely to get shouted at for not talking to people than you are for talking to people. Yeah. If you make a mistake, um, hold your hands up. Soon as. Absolutely. Um, and also, if you're talking to people, you're less likely to make a mistake. Yes. You know, I, I flew down to um, to Exeter once, and. Um, was going to fly straight over the top of Hereford, which is a, a notified danger area. It's, it's, it's where the SAS are based, and of course, so they don't want you overflying that. And the controller just said to me, you're aware that there's a, there's a danger zone ahead of you. Oh, yes, of and course. And I sort of went, uh, oh, yes, of course there is. I was just <laughs> easing right to go round it. And he said, yes, I could see you doing that. Sunny Jim. Absolutely. And that's the thing. That, you know, they are, we're all on the same side. There isn't a, a them and us. And I think sometimes you listen to the flying clubs are full of um, old soldiers with big bushy beards who learned to fly back in the Tiger Moth days. Yeah. 
and they seem to, you know, carry on about this them and us attitude with air traffic, and, and that's obviously far from the truth. Yeah. You know? um, well, most air traffic guys are sort of aviation enthusiasts, aren't they? So they're probably interested in GA flying from an early age. I think most of them are there to, to help you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, they're just frustrated pilots themselves, basically. Um, so, so not in a bad way. No, oh, no, no, it's a good way. Yeah. Does that sound like I was, I was being rude about them? No, they they would rather be flying than, than sat in their um, yes. sat in their tower or in their um, in their radar room. So yeah. you know, they're, they're only there's an element of jealousy, I think, when they're talking to you that you you're bimbling along, but. Um, but there we are. I think the uh, the learning about the ATC is probably uh, it's like any sort of flag. I mean, I, I thought I found every trip away you learn something different, and you know that's part of the the joy of you know pushing yourself to to try different things. I mean, I I went to I think it was Sandtoft where they just had a single runway with a with a backtrack, and I'd never backtracked before. And I landed and got to the end, and I turned around, and there was someone else on final. So I thought, oh, my God, what do I do now? <laughs> so I thought I'd just wait, and he'll land. <laughs> and then we'll both taxi back down together. And so, uh, you know, the ATC lady said, uh, I think you should hurry up and backtrack now. Yeah, expedite. <laughs> expedite. <laughs> expedite is the, the word that reserve yes. for the polite version of, will you get on with it? Yeah. Um, so I won't just expedite it, but I'll hurry up. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, they're, they're all good. I mean, uh, they are they're good people, and they save lives, and uh, we should be nice to them. And if you meet them at a party, buy them a drink. Because yes, one indeed. day you yeah. might need their help when you're right in the soup. I think one thing that got me about ATC as well was uh, the different types of ATC and what's expected of you. The worst ones is when you go somewhere that's got an air ground. Mm. So that's basically a bloke with a microphone, and you, all you get off him is Roger and wind speed yeah so i remember going up to a parachute center um somewhere up in the northeast years and years ago um i was speaking to teesside so getting full air traffic and they handed me over to this place uh, which was just an air ground and the air ground was actually a bloke on a plastic chair with a cup of tea in his hands and a handheld radio a megaphone <laughs> yeah well almost yeah it was it's a piece of can with two pieces of string um and it was mo- primarily microlites so they didn't need anything else. Yeah. So I made these lovely calls, which were completely unnecessary, but I felt better for it. Yeah. I landed at Bournemouth and misunderstood the taxi instruction and found myself nose to nose with a with a uh, Learjet. <laughs> um, and um, there was a pause, and, <laughs> and the ATCO said, "Well, are you going to turn round then?" <laughs> I thought, yes, I am, actually. Because <laughs> yeah. sure as eggs is eggs, Learjet's not going to do a 180. <laughs> no, no. Um, I think the really CAA are going to be watching you after this. Be, uh... <laughs> well, no, no, I've done nothing, you know, um, you know, other than the time I was special VFR somewhere where I shouldn't have been. I, I've done nothing that's, um, that's untoward. Um, but I have enjoyed it. It, it, is, it is so much fun. Um, and I think... When you're learning to fly, when you're doing your PPL and all the stress, you sometimes the fun element goes out of that. Um, and that's what you remember. It is fun. I remember funny things that happened to me when I was learning my nav and uh, we were flying out over somewhere and it was over sort of Lancashire, Merseyside sort of area and there was no sort of discernible things on the ground. I was quite good at nav, I thought, but um, I think... The uh, the instructor said, right, just cover your eyes for a short while, I'll take you somewhere. And, and he, he said, okay, now you can look out. And he says, I want you to tell me where we are. I was looking down. He says, the first thing you should do is just, if you're not sure, just orbit. So I start orbiting. 
uh, while I sort of got my bearings. And he says, um, have you found it yet? I said, no, not yet. He says, okay, just continue to orbit over Skelmersdale until you can tell me where we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, it reminds me of my first cross-country solo. It was to um, oh, Bursko and back. Oh, yes, that was to Bursko, wasn't it? Yeah. And my instructor said to me, right, I've rung Bursko. I know exactly what colour um, trailer is parked at the end of the old runway there. So, of course, I fly over to Bursko, and I'm circling. I can't see a bloody trailer. And I'm circling, and I'm circling, and I'm circling. And in the end, I gave up, and I got back, and I said, look, I got there. I circled, but I'm blown if I can see a trailer. He said, oh, no, I made that bit up, just to keep you honest. <laughs> I was like, you swine. Yes. You absolute swine. Well, that's, uh, that's been very interesting, talking to you about all the things we've learned. I think we've got a lot more to uh, to discuss, but I think we've just scratched the surface there. So uh, maybe you could come back um, in a few episodes' time and maybe uh, discuss some of the other things we've learned along the way. Um, yeah, no, Steve, that would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, flying is one of my favourite things to talk about, and... Um, my wife has heard it all before, so she soon zones out and has that glazed look on her, on her face. So more than happy to come and talk to you any time. And, uh, and at some point, we need to go flying together. Hey, we should. We should. That'd be great. OK, well, thank you very much for coming on, Duncan. A pleasure. And I look forward to uh, getting you on the podcast again. Look forward to it. Take care. Duncan Armstrong there. I hope you enjoyed listening to our flying experiences, uh, especially Duncan's. I'm sure I don't need to tell you that uh, you should always consult a flying instructor if you're not sure about any elements of flight training and you should never listen to advice from uh, people like uh, Duncan or myself, except for your own amusement. Well, that's it for episode 50 of Flying Podcasts. If you have any comments, suggestions for future episodes, or if you'd like to take part, you can, as usual, email me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon.